around here tonight. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 this evening. Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at a passage tonight beginning in verse 21. That's, I think, one of the great passages in the New Testament. It's a little bit complicated. There's some technical language in there. We read about the righteousness of God. Uh, we'll try to maybe explain that a little bit as we go through. Uh, we read about being justified. We read, come across the word propitiation, word that we only use in Bible study. Uh, we use it from time to time in that setting, but hardly ever at any other time. And so there's some technical language in, in this particular passage. But as I said a moment ago, it's, I think, one of the great passages in the New Testament. It explains the atonement, which is another technical word, the atonement. God's way of making men and women right with Himself. And so we'll talk about that a little bit tonight as we uh, talk about this particular passage. Here's how the passage reads, Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, the righteousness of God we might understand simply as God's plan to make men right with Himself. And so, apart from the law of Moses, the plan that God had to make men right with Himself has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith, God's plan to make people right with Him through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Another technical term, redemption. The purchase of God. God purchasing us to Himself, for Himself, through Christ. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. The word propitiation means to appease or to satisfy. And to satisfy God's wrath, for example. Some versions might read the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath against sin. And so God displayed Christ as the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so God is both just, He Himself is just, and He's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we're going to take as our title tonight this phrase, the just justifier of the unjust. And we're going to try to explain what we mean by that. The just justifier of the unjust. And we take that, at least, uh, uh, not word for word, but the thought from the last part of verse 26. How is it that God can maintain His righteous character and consider right those who are not right? How can God be just and justify those who are unjust? That's the question. It's really... That is really the question, isn't it? That's the big question that uh, we have to deal with and consider. 
Well, the first point I want to make is not in this particular passage, but it sort of underlies the passage. It really underlies the entire story of the Bible, and that is the fact that God loves us. God loves us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says that love is from God. And so it also says in, in verse 8 and verse 16 of 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, that God is so full of love, we can say in a figurative sort of way, that God is love. And so He's abounding in love. He's overflowing with love. He loves us. We are the objects of His love. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, there the Bible says that God created us in His own image. You remember that passage? God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And so He did. God made man. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. And so God created us, and He created us in His image. Now, a lot of theologians have talked a long time, hundreds and even longer than that, actually, hundreds of years about what it means to be made in God's image. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot more about that. Every now and then, that idea will, will come to the surface. But I think at least we can say this, that because we are made in God's image, we are like Him in that way, that enables God to have a special relationship with us. Does it say the animals are created in God's image, or the trees are created in God's image? But we are, and so that makes us different from all these other creatures in creation. And that provides the basis for God's special relationship with us. He loves us. We're made in His image. He wants to have fellowship with us. That's why we were made, so that God might have fellowship with us. That's why we exist. And so that's the first point, that God loves us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, from here in the book of Romans, God has poured out His love on us through the Spirit. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And in Romans 8 and verse 37, we conquer through God who loved us. And so, there's great emphasis in the Bible, all the way through the Bible, on God's love for us. And so, God is not indifferent toward us. He loves us. He made us. We are in His image. He wants to have fellowship with us. But, <laughs> there's, there's, the, there's the rub. But, you see, all people are unjust before God. He can't have fellowship with us because all of us have sinned, and our sin has severed the fellowship that He wants to have with us. In this particular passage, to be just is to be right in the sight of the law, to have no transgression against us on our record. And so to be just would be to be right according to the law. Have no transgression on our record. Now there are different ways that we can be right as far as the law concerned. Let's say I was accused of robbing a bank. And so I was arrested. I was charged with a crime. I went to court and the evidence was, you know, the evidence was, was provided both for and against. And it was determined that I had not robbed the bank. Falsely accused. I hadn't done anything wrong. I would be just in the eyes of the law. No transgression 
against me on my record. There's another way a person might be right as far as the law is concerned. Let's say I was accused of robbing a bank. I was arrested. I was charged. My, my trial, the date for my trial came along. I went to trial. The evidence was offered and I was convicted. I did it. I robbed the bank. In fact, in the course of the trial, I just admitted it. Yes, I've done it. And the judge says, okay, you're guilty. Your sentence is 10 years in prison. Now, I could spend that 10 years in prison. I could serve my time. I could pay my debt to society. And I, I would be right in the sight of the law. I committed the crime, but I paid the penalty. And I would be, I would be set free once I paid the penalty. There's another way for us to be right in the sight of the law, and that is for us to be pardoned. And so let's say I was accused of robbing a bank. I went to trial. The evidence was presented, and I was found guilty. In fact, I admitted to doing it, and the judge pardoned me. Yes, you did it, but you're not going to be held accountable for it. You're going to be, another word for that is forgiven. You did it, but you're going to be forgiven. Now, pardons happen all the time. A president gets to the end of his term. He pardons lots of people. The most famous pardon in my lifetime is when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. And he pardoned him in advance, if I remember correctly. If you did any crimes, you'll be, you'll be pardoned. You'll be forgiven. Now, we could be right in the sight of the law if we are forgiven, if we are pardoned. The point is that we are all unjust before God. We are, we're all guilty. We've all transgressed the law of God in one way or another at some time. Now we call in this context, we call those transgressions of the law sin. And so we've all sinned. In fact, the passage we read here in Romans chapter 3 tells us in verse 23 that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are not right as far as the law is concerned. We've transgressed the law. We're guilty. And so we are not just, we are unjust. Now, a few observations about that point. The law of God is an extremely high standard of right and wrong. And so to be right with God on the basis of the law of God, that is an extremely high standard. You see, He calls upon us to be holy as He is holy. Not, holy, not holier than other people, not holier than the average person, but to be holy as He is holy. We read that, for example, at least in one place, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so that's the standard. The standard is God's standard of holiness perfection. Matthew chapter 5 is another passage that bears that out. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how it was commonly said, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, and so forth. And so verse 45 says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then verse 48 says, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You're to be complete and as inclusive in your love as is the Father. 
And so it's a very high standard, isn't it, that, that we are called upon to live up to. It's very, very high. And so it's no wonder then, given our own weaknesses and frailties, that we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. A second observation is we may transgress God's law in different ways. We might transgress God's law indeed. We might rob a bank. That would be a transgression of God's law. God tells us not to steal. We might murder. We might commit adultery. We might cheat. We might sin or transgress the law of God by, in our deeds. We might transgress God's law in our words, lying, insulting others, using God's name in vain, using profanity, unwholesome speech coming out of our mouth. That's all forbidden by God's law. And so we might violate God's law in word. And so in word, indeed, we also might violate God's law in thought. And so God's standard is so high that not only does it govern our words and our deeds, it also demands we control our thoughts. And so covetousness, greed, lust, pride, envy, hatred, anger, all transgressions of God's law. We might transgress God's law by, we say, commission or omission. We might commit sin. And so God says, don't do this, and we do it. That's sin. That's a transgression of the law. God might say, don't do this, or He might say, do this, and we don't do it. And so we might sin by omission, by omitting in our lives what we ought to do. James tells us the one who knows to do to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. You know the right thing to do? You know what you ought to do and we just fail to do it out of neglect or for what other, uh, other reason we've, we've sinned. And then we might sin on purpose, but sometimes we might sin not on purpose. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul describes his former manner of life he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a violent aggressor. I was out here persecuting Christians, but I did it ignorantly and unbelievable. I did it ignorantly. In Acts 26, he says, I, I thought I, I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus. And so he was sinning, not on purpose. He did it in ignorance. And so we can sin by commission or omission. We can sin on purpose or not on purpose. We can transgress God's law in deed, in word, or thought. And so we think about all those, all those demands that God places on us because of His own righteous character. Well, then we understand, yes, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, all the way through chapter, into chapter 3, uh, that's, that's Paul's point. All of us have sinned. Romans 3 verse 9, for example, what then? Are we, the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? No, not, not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And he quotes a series of Old Testament passages there to support his point. None of us is just. None of us is right before God who is the lawgiver. All of us have violations or transgressions on our record. And so we stand condemned as transgressors, as lawbreakers. The fact is, we're guilty and we know it. <laughs> we're like, you know, I robbed the bank 
the evidence came out. I finally just had to admit, yeah, I'm guilty. You know, so we're, we're guilty and, and we know it. And so what can be done about that? Well, we deserve to pay the penalty for our transgression. That's what we deserve. Now we understand this. In order for justice to be done, the guilty must pay the penalty for their transgression. Right? Right? Now we understand that just in our ordinary walks of life. We watch the news and here's a lawbreaker and we, you know, he ought to pay the penalty for his transgression. Justice demands that. Now because God is holy and can be a partner with or party to what is unholy, the just penalty for sin is death and eternal separation from God. So let's review a little bit. God created us, created us in His image. He created us in order to have fellowship with us, in order to participate, be partners with us, have a good relationship. And yet God is entirely holy. And He cannot have fellowship with what is unholy. And the fact is, we're all unholy. We're all unjust. And our just deserts are to pay the penalty, to pay the price. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. And so the just penalty for sin is death and eternal separation from God. And there is a no tolerance policy. It's not like, okay, I'm going to give you five chances, okay? You've blown two, you've blown three. Okay, this is the sixth time. Now you're going to have to pay them. Now as parents, we're that way sometimes with our children. All right now, this is the last time I'm going to put up with that. With God, there is a no tolerance policy. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. The Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 18, very similar statement is made. In uh, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins shall die. And so the penalty for sin, the penalty for transgressing God's law is death and eternal separation from God. Now there are passages that talk about the wrath of God being poured out against those who transgress God's law. For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so the wrath of God is poured out on all unrighteousness. Ephesians 5, 16, The wrath of God is poured out on the sons of disobedience. And Colossians 3, 16, because of these things, the things he's discussing in that passage, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So we have a problem, don't we? we? We got a problem. God loves us. He wants to have fellowship with us. But we've transgressed His law. We've become unholy and unjust. What, what can be done? What, what can be done about it? Well, here's a couple of things that won't make us right with God. Do more good works. That, that, that just won't work. Help the poor more. Give to more charities. Be kinder, gentler person. Go to church more. Give more. Pray more. Now, you see, none of those things erase the past. 
Being right with God is not a matter of balancing the number of good things and the number of bad things we do in our lives or the more serious the bad things are, you know, the more, you know, it's just not a matter of balancing those two things. And so if we were to do absolutely right, living perfectly from this point on in our lives, we will have done only what our duty, we would have done only our duty. That's what Luke chapter 17 tells us in verse 10. Luke 17, 10. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. It's not a matter of doing more good works to outweigh the bad things we've done. That, that doesn't make us right with God. That, that simply doesn't erase what we've done. A second way that we cannot be right with God is for God simply to ignore our trespasses. He can't do that. Now, we do that sometimes. Now, I told you not to get any cookies out of the cookie jar, but I'm going to let that go this time. Well, you know what the child does when that's the case. He doesn't take your word seriously because you've already shown that you're willing to compromise on your standard of, of right and wrong. God, God's not going to do that. If a person commits a crime, justice requires he be held accountable. God would not be just if He established a law, stated the just penalty for violating the law, but ignored the violations of the law. His word would be untrustworthy. He would be unjust. And so we, we're, in a, we're in a fix, aren't we? We're, we're sort of in a quandary. What, what can be done? God loves us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He's holy. We become unholy. What can be done? Well, remember we talked about being pardoned earlier. Really, that's our hope, isn't it? That God will pardon us. That God will forgive us. That's our, that's our hope. That's our only hope. And the fact is that God has made it possible for us to be forgiven and yet His Word be upheld and maintained and His justice, His own just character be maintained and yet at the same time He can forgive us of our sins. And He's done that through the cross of Christ. That's what Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 21 is all about. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed as a propitiation through blood, uh, through, uh, in His blood through faith. On what basis can God forgive us? Well, we said a moment ago, can't just arbitrarily just wave His hand and say, okay, look, I'm just going to ignore that. On what basis can He forgive and uphold His own righteousness? Well, what happened is God Himself became a human being and paid the just penalty for our transgressions on the cross. And so what God says, I'll become one of them. I'll become one of the human beings. And I'll take their sins on me. And I'll pay the price. I'll pay the just penalty for their sin. And when they have faith in me, when they trust in me, I can forgive them. Because, see, the penalty, their penalty has been paid for them. Look at a few passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example, is one that uh, addresses this, beginning in verse oh, 18. 
Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so, God made Him who knew no sin, that's Christ, to be sin, to be the sin offering, to be a sacrifice for sin, so that we could be right with Him. Here's another passage. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 16. He begins in verse 14 by saying, He Himself is our peace who made both groups one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and reconciling them both in one body to God through the cross, and by it having put to death the enmity. So peace is made. Reconciliation comes about through the cross. And then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. One more passage that illustrates the point. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. The Scriptures teach there are three persons in the Godhead. Now, there is one God. It's very adamant about that, very clear about that. There is one God, but the one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person is distinct from the others, but each is fully God. Each is so united with the others, and each is in the others so that they constitute one God. Now, we don't experience anything like that in our day-to-day lives. It's just different from everything that we experience in our life. A lot of illustrations have been put forward, but all of them fall short. One God in three persons. One of those persons took on human nature, came to this earth without giving up his deity, came to this earth in human form, went to the cross, propitiated God's wrath against sin. Remember we talked about that? God's wrath is poured out against all unrighteousness. So Christ takes our sin on Himself. God's wrath is poured out against sin on the cross. And when we believe in Him, see, when we believe in Him, when we obey His gospel, well then, our sins are forgiven, and we can be right with God. And so God provided the solution to the problem of human sin by becoming a human. And on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins. The wages of sin is death. He died on the cross for our sin. God's wrath against us was poured out on Him. And so, just as God said, the wages of sin is death, sin is punished by death, according to the just demands of a just God. And when we're united with Christ, when we believe in Him, God forgives us of our sin, and we are right in the sight of God. You see, He's the just, justifier of the unjust. It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) 
Romans chapter 6 tells us, uh, beginning in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? We've been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. If we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with Christ. See the association with Christ there? So Christ died for us on the cross. And yet, when we believe in Him, when we're united with Him by being baptized, well then, our sins are forgiven or washed away, and we can be right with God. And why would God do that? <laughs> why would He do all that? Why would He go to all that trouble to come to earth and live as one of us and take our sin on Him and pour the, you know, bear our sin on the cross and God's wrath be... Why would He do all that? You see, He loves us. That's why He did it. Because He loves us. He's made us to have fellowship. He's made us in His image. He wants that relationship with us. He loves us so much that He's willing to give His only begotten Son. So it's up to us then to take advantage of that, right? It's up to us to put our trust in Him, to give up trusting in ourselves and trying to do it all on our own, to understand I'm a sinner before God. I'm not right, but Jesus provides the way. He's the way for me to be right with God. And so I'm going to put all my trust in Him and I'm going to follow Him. And so that's our responsibility in all this. And we hope that each one of us here who's accountable before God will do that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the Lord's day, the opportunity we have to come together and to worship and encourage each other and to build each other up in the faith. Help us, Father, to, uh, to, to continue to grow and develop and improve in our understanding and our knowledge, our commitment to being uh, your children. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. We could not, would not have any hope if you had not taken the initiative in your, in your grace to send your son into this world to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. We're so thankful for that, Father. And we pray that each one of us will take advantage of that great gift that you've given to us and that we will accept that gift, that we will become united with Him, our sins will be forgiven, we'll be right with You, and that we'll live in this world as Your children. Help us, Father, each day to grow and develop and become more and more and more each day what You intend for us to be. Always help us to hold Christ in the forefront of our thoughts, that every day, every moment of every day, that we will strive to be more and more like Him. We pray these things in His name. Amen.